come on, lift up your hands and sing this out to Jesus. He's so good. being such a good, good father. Lord, we're able to stand in your presence at this moment because of what you've done for us. We could have never saved ourselves. We could have never made ourselves perfect. We could have never washed ourselves clean. But because you're such a good, good father, you sent your son Jesus to take our place, to redeem our lives. And we stand before you, the redeemed sons and daughters of God, and we worship you, Jesus, because you're so good. We've tasted and seen that you are good, oh God. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your elaborate love. And Lord, we lift up our family to you. I want to pray for a couple of minutes here. Let's lift up our family to the Lord. Many of you have fathers and mothers brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents who don't know Jesus. I want you to lift their names up before heaven right now. Say their names out loud and say, Jesus, save them. Jesus, save Vicki. Save Nick. Save Lisa. Save Mitch, oh God. Arrest them in the spirit right now. You're such a good, good father. You want all men to come unto repentance, oh God. You want all men to know you, to have a relationship with you. And we lift up our lost family members and we say, Jesus, stretch forth your hand to save them, oh God. We lift up their names before you in heaven. We intercede for them, oh God. And we say, arrest them right now in the spirit. Show them their need for you, Jesus. Right now, oh God, only you can save. We will be faithful to pray. We will be faithful to preach the gospel. But God, you are the one that saves. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we plead the blood of Jesus over them right now. Every single family member, oh God, do what only you can do. Lord, we are expecting for miracles to take place this week. I pray for testimonies to arise by next Sunday of what you've done in our family, of how they encountered you, of how they've heard you speak to them, oh God, and how they've confessed you as Lord. We thank you for being such a good, good father. We bless your name this afternoon. We thank you for the honor of the privilege and the freedom that we have to gather together to worship you and to hear the gospel message preached. We thank you, Jesus, and we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise because he is worthy and he is so good. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to preach the gospel to you guys. How many of you guys like hearing the good news of the gospel? Come on. In Luke chapter 15, verse 3 through 7, this is Jesus replying to the Pharisees, the religious people of his time, who were upset with him for hanging out with the sinners. Look to your neighbor and say, Jesus liked the sinners. 
Okay, so they were upset. And this is what he said. He said, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We have a good, good father. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He'll leave the 99 and go look for the one. And heaven rejoices over the one sinner who gets right with God. This message is not to be taken lightly. And if we're saved in this room today, we must preach this message to the lost around us. Heaven rejoices over one person who gives their life to Jesus. A new name is written in the Lamb's book of life when one person turns from their way to follow Jesus and says, I, I repent, I confess my sins. Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. And so if that's you, I want you to take inventory of your heart and get right with God today. With all eyes closed all across this room, you know whether or not you're right with God. If you've been born again, praise God. Our names are written in the book. And heaven rejoiced over the day when we gave our life to Jesus. But if you are not right with God, today, right now is your moment. And as I pray, I want you to come in agreement in prayer with me and surrender every area of your life to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this moment right now. We know there are people in eternal torment, souls in hellfire right now who would give anything to have one more chance, one more opportunity to hear a message like this and be able to respond. God, I pray that we would never as a church take these moments for granted, oh God, because heaven and hell are at stake. Heaven and hell, eternity hangs in the balance for souls. And God, I pray that whoever's not right today would get right because they're not promised tomorrow. And this chance, this opportunity would pass them by and they would suffer hellfire for all of eternity, lost, lost from your presence, never to feel you again, to see you again, to hear your words again. Let there be such a desperation in our heart to see the lost saved like you did and like you do today, oh God. Stretch forth your hand to save today, right now. And Lord, we will be faithful to do our part, repent, and allow you to come in and transform our life, to save us, to make us new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God is good. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. If that was you, you're going to have the opportunity to come forward and receive prayer from our prayer workers. At this time, if you could stand up to your feet, we're going to confess a confession of faith together. I really want to encourage you to come up for prayer especially to find out how to get plugged into the church, get discipled. On the count of three, let's recite this together. The reason why we do this is because this is our Christian worldview. So if you're with me, let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. 
I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Clap it up for Jesus. Spend some time fellowshipping. Give somebody a hug. As distant hearts begin believing, redemption's bid is unrelenting. Your love goes on. Your love goes on. When the world keeps Right, who's excited to be at Metro Praise International? Come on, it's so exciting to see all of your faces this, uh, this afternoon. Thank you for joining us. 
We love seeing you guys all here. Our services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have King's Kids for infant to 11 years old. So uh, if you know anybody in that age group, bring them on by, whether you're your kids, your neighbor's kids. God is doing awesome things with their children. Now we have Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. for our students, 11 to 18 years old. If you know any teenagers, invite them to be here on Fridays. God's doing awesome things in our youth ministry, blowing it up for Jesus. And so we love what God is doing with our teenagers. We have a special announcement, our Puerto Rican Festival Outreach. Come on. We want you guys to come on out, join us. Let's go strong for the Lord. It's going to be Saturday, June 18th at 9 a.m., meeting here at the church. We're going to be preaching the gospel, street witnessing, doing skits, dramas, giving out free food. Awesome time. If you've never done it, it's going to rock your world. If you've done it before, get ready to do it again. Time's 100. So this is our annual outreach. We've been doing it from the conception of this church. The first time we did it was just me and Joe. And then obviously it's grown and grown and grown and God has been faithful. So we love the Boricua Festa outreach. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God, loving people. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. Our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. We want to connect you to the church and to Jesus through our life groups. And we want to mentor you through the 101 and 201 book. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to preach the gospel to the lost. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let me get a what, what. Look to your neighbor, say connect. If you turn your hand out around, you'll see the schedule of our quarter, uh, the schedule for this quarter of life groups. Find a place to connect, stick to it, be faithful to it. So many different options for you. Here's a snapshot of what's happening this week. Wednesday, we're kicking it off with our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 630 here at the church every week. We have boys clubs for uh Boys Clubs and Girls Clubs for Jesus, Royal Rangers Impact. God's doing awesome things in that ministry. Every Thursday, we have our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Meet them out there. God's doing amazing things. And then every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivids. Let me get a hallelujah or a holla. Uh, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. I know a lot of you guys love those life groups. Invite your friends, invite your coworkers, blow their houses up, okay? Then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. 101 and 201. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. Leaders are ready to join you on this journey of getting closer to Jesus and taking you through that book. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader in the church, to one day be ordained as a deacon and an elder, and be and do all that God has called you to be and do. Then we want to uh, send you out. Somebody say send. We want you to do evangelism. Meet the team here on Saturdays every week at 5 o'clock. They'll hit the streets till 8, preaching the gospel. We have our young little warriors right here in the front. Why don't you guys stand up? Young, yeah, you two right here. Warriors bold for Jesus every single week, week in and week out, preaching the gospel on the streets. So if they can do it, you can do it. Don't be scared, okay? If you're nervous, you don't know what to say, be out there. They're going to train you. You're going to learn, and God's going to rock your world. So in a recap, MPI has a vision, strategy, and a goal. Vision of loving God, loving people. Strategy to connect you, to mentor you, to send you out. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let's do it for Jesus. Who's excited? Come on. Now let's get excited about tithes and offerings. God has been so faithful. We want to be blessed to be a blessing. And MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. And we designate our offerings, which is above the tithe, any amount that God puts in your heart 
that we designate towards missions and towards buildings. So we got some announcements for you, but let's get into the giving book lesson, Disciples Giving Book. We have one lesson for every week out of the year. We're on section two, lesson five. Offerings should be given cheerfully. How many cheerful givers do I have this afternoon? Come on. Definition of offering is a gift to God after our tithes. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 9, 7. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you guys have heard that before? He wants us to be cheerful about it. Let's read these three main points. Number one, from the heart. Offerings should be given from the heart and not the manipulation of man. One should pray and ask God to speak to their heart about giving what is best for their life and the kingdom of God. And again, that comes through relationship with Jesus. We have to be sensitive to the spirit to hear what he's saying, what he's wanting from us. And then we reply with obedience and cheerfulness. Number two, not forced. Offerings are between you and God, so you should never feel pressured to give. Somebody say, never, ever, ever. Never feel the pressure. Your offerings must come from the joy of being blessed by God to be a blessing. And number three, cheerful giving. The Bible states that God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because cheerful givers truly understand that they are sharing in the work of God upon the earth. That's an honor that we get to co-labor with Jesus on this earth. We should enjoy giving God our offerings just as much and more than we enjoy spending our money on clothes, rent, cars, hobbies, or vacations. How many of you guys like shopping for clothes? I do, I do. How many of you guys like going on vacations? Same thing. Those things are not bad. God wants us to be blessed in those things, to be prosperous. But as much as we love and enjoy those things, as, as much as we should love giving our tithes and offerings and doing it with a joyful, generous heart, cheerfulness. Amen? Here's a summary. Cheerfully give your offerings from a loving heart of generosity. And we can apply this to our life in three ways. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, never give under pressure or to please man. Never give to please man. It will not bear fruit in your life ever. Give it for the Lord. He watches you. He's going to bring you increase. And number three, give generous offerings to God from a cheerful heart. If you are this person or you want to aspire to be this person, let's recite this confession over our life. On the count of three, one, two, three. Offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart, by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. You may be seated. We're going to continue uh, with the rest of the uh, announcements for offering, and then i got a special announcement for you about our building fund. So, again, tithe, 10% of our total income regularly given to the church. If we have $100, we give $10. We have 1000 we give 100 And then we designate the offering towards missions and building. And you guys are doing amazing such hearts of generosity. We're giving to various mission projects and ministries here in uh, America and across the, uh, the world, giving to missions, planting seed, making sure people are hearing the gospel, receiving the resources that they need. And we're also currently in this building fund where you guys have sowed so generously. As you can see already, just the lights, the stage, the drums, the new keyboard, God is moving and he's going to continue to move. So I want to read to you the four ways of giving and I'll give you the special announcement. 
Number one, you could give it in the, in the bucket during this offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see me or Jerry today after service. Or you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. All right, who's ready for the announcements? I want you guys to know that in the month of April, we raised $11,133. Now, this is not total since January. Let me read that again. $11,133 just in April. Just in April alone, okay? So here's the testimony. So we, we presented the building fund before you for the year of 2016, and we put a number which was about $11,000. Yeah, the original number was 11000 Oh, yeah, 11100 to be exact. So we took an estimate. We found out what we needed for new sound systems, speakers, the soundboard, the stage, the new instruments. And so what we realized after we had the professionals come out and, and you know, kind of figure out what we needed, that it was going to be a lot more than that. And so what happened in April was we had to come before our elders and deacons and say, this is what we need, and we know that God wants us to have the best. How many of you guys know that MPI should have the best to reach Chicago for, with, with the best that God has to offer? And so we really wanted to invest in our music ministry and all that God was doing. So this is where the $11,133 came from for this month. So on, on average, Metro Praise International will raise $1,600. So you guys raised $1,672. Clap it up for your generosity. That is how much MPI gave for the April building fund. On the last Saturday of the month, when we came before the elders and deacons, and we said, this is what we need. This is what we have left over from the professional uh, people that we had to come look at the building and said, this is what it's going to take. We needed $11,000 more. And so we told the elders and deacons, and right there in that meeting, we said, we've got to raise at least 2300 just within the midst of us, about 30 people. And we raised in that meeting $2,461 from the elders and deacons alone. Now, another testimony about your guys' giving and generosity. For April, we actually had an excess of $4,000. So we'll usually spend $12,000 a month. It'll come in. We'll spend it. We'll have a little bit more. But in April, we had an excess of $4,000. And then we also took out $3,000 from the savings for a total of $7,000 to put towards the eleven that we needed for the month to buy what we needed to buy and to make it look right. And that's where all the monies came from. So give it up one more time for yourselves and for Jesus because he is so faithful. And of all the months to be that over, to be over by $4,000 was the month that we really needed it to come through to make this happen. So I want to proudly announce to you that the $18,832 that we needed has been completed. The building fund is closed for all the sound and everything that we presented to you for the year. Give it up again. Now, this is what we're doing moving forward for the rest of the year. What we presented you to you in 2016 in January, we've completed it. Now for the rest of the year, I want to announce to you soul winning summer. Soul winning summer. We are so excited about what God is going to do in these next six months. How many of you guys remember Brandon Holt? A couple weeks ago, he was with us, such a talented musician, anointed. Joe was feeling the Lord speak to him. Brandon was hearing the Lord speaking to him. And we are going to be bringing Brandon out for the next six months, starting with two weeks from today. He's going to be with us 
from May to October for our soul winning summer for one weekend a month from a Friday to a Monday for $1,000. He's gonna come train up our band to use all of this new beautiful equipment, take us to another level recording music, making new songs and outreaching and winning souls for Jesus. So in May, we're gonna have a worship concert here with Brandon that he's gonna preach about um, entering into worship and really knowing the heart of worship. In June, we're going to have the Boricua Fest weekend. That Sunday, we're going to have a Father's Day grill out outside with our baptisms, with Brandon leading worship with the team. In July, we're going to have the All Nations Dinner. August, we're going to have a back-to-school bash party. September, we're going to have a Youth Sunday. And then October, we're going to have a free-to-live illustrated sermon. Come on, aren't you guys excited? And he's going to be here pouring into our band, taking us to another level in worship. And so I want to encourage you, pray to partner to give. Say it with me. Pray to partner to give. We are going to change Chicago one soul at a time. And so this is where we are for the rest of the year. Our building fund is going to be just keep giving like how you are. There's nothing that needs that's, that's owed. As we keep bringing in how much we have been, on average about $1,600 a month, it's going to go to Brandon. It's going to go to the access of these outreaches because of the expenses that are going to come in for the Barigua Fest and, and the grill out. And so God is going to meet the need. Wherever God's will is, he's going to pay the bill. Say, God's will will pay the bill. Come on. So uh, stand up with me to your feet. We are so pumped about what God is doing Let's recite this together. Philippians 4:18. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your generosity. And we in turn want to learn from your example. We want to be cheerful, generous givers. And I pray, Lord God, that our desire would be to be blessed, to be a blessing. And we thank you for all of this increase, God, and the faithful generosity of your people that make things happen at MPI so that we could reach this city, do things in excellence for you, and preach the gospel to all the nations. I pray that you bless them, increase them, prosper them on their jobs, give them raises, oh God, open doors of employment. I pray, Lord God, that our trust would be in you and not the dollar bill, and that as we trust in you and are faithful to you, you will provide, God, as the church gets supplied for, our personal lives can also be supplied for, because the abundance in the church represents the abundance of your people, oh God, and so we thank you for your blessings. We thank you, oh God, that we in turn will continue to sow seed to reap a good harvest. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this afternoon, and we thank you so much for your generosity. to come forward up to the front we want to bless you this mother's day i thank the lord for this sunshiny weather don't be shy come on maritza come on up marcella i'll call you out by name i know you all you all, all you guys by name daniela well come on you're a mother 
Come on up. Where's Rachel? Did we lose her? Let's get Rachel out here. Come on, come up close and personal. Tina did it in the first service. We want it up close and personal. Yes, I'll have you guys face me and then we'll face, we'll face the people. I just want to bless you guys today. The, the job that God has given to us is not something that he leaves us to fend by ourselves. He gives us the strength. He gives us the joy and the wisdom. And I just want to encourage you, ladies, to keep seeking the Lord for that strength and for that wisdom that only comes from him so that we can impart to our children what they need to be the men and women of God that God has called them to be. So whether you're a single mom or whether you're married, it doesn't matter. God is your strength. And if you are single and you're waiting for that man of God, be faithful in the process. Okay, little one? Be faithful in that process. God is going to bring you that man of God. And then if we are married, that is a blessing because we do have a husband by our side to help us. So I just want to encourage you guys, keep your eyes on Jesus and let him lead you and guide you as a mother. Come on up, Rachel. So as the ushers pass out the gifts, we have beautiful roses for you and a gift bag. As they do that, I'm going to read to you from Proverbs 31, the famous passage of scripture for a wife and a mother. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gates, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. That's what we want to do for you guys this morning. We want to honor you for all the work that your hands have done. So if you could turn around and face the congregation, if you guys could stand up and give them a standing ovation, we would not be here without mothers. Amen. So we're going to put some party music on. I want you guys to come up and just love on them, shake their hand, give them a hug on this special Mother's Day.
first couple of rows here. Let's get everybody to come up. It's one of those days, you know, a lot of people are home with family. So come in the first row. Let's see if we can hear everybody in the first row, okay? One of these two first rows right here. It's so good to have everybody here. I want to do a Bible study with you. Is that okay? We'll do it on our sermon today, but we'll do it in a Bible study way. And that way I can hear some interaction from you guys, okay? All right, give me the stool back there. One, two, yeah, this is recording for us, so this will be fine if you want to go back and listen to it. All right, there we go, there we go, okay. Come on up here, Bianca, let me see you. Let's, let's have a little Bible study here today. Let's get everybody up. Come on up here. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. We're going to use the opportunity that we have. So, how's your guys' week been? Good? Glad you guys came to church today. We got a beautiful mother here today. Come, I mean, come, you beautiful mothers came today. Thank you. I have some beautiful young ladies right here. You guys love Jesus, all right? What about you guys? You love Jesus? Are you beautiful inside and out? Come on. Okay, so open up your Bibles with me to the book of Second Peter. Open up to Second Peter, chapter one. Let's look at this passage that we've been going through here. Maybe today, in this setting, we can learn a little bit more about it. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, have you guys been enjoying this passage right here? Now, I want you guys to get this. Think about this. If you understand this passage long after you're out of this church, you know, like throughout the week, and long after we're done with this sermon series, you're able to go back and read this and understand the concept. So let's say like these charts here, they're helpful, right? But they're not necessarily exactly how the Bible says it. So this chart will pass away. You may forget about this chart in a week or two, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. But what's going to happen is if I did my job right and you were uh, able to go through this scripture week after week in our sermon series, then you're going to be able to see what God was saying. So my way as a pastor is to kind of go through this and pick out the truths of the scripture and make it presentable. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? Ricky and Rachel, let's have you guys come in the back of that second row. That'll be perfect. Thank you. So think about think about what I do. You know, I come up here, I'm a preacher, I'm all excited. You know, I love doing Bible studies too. But let, let's think about this. What I what I'm doing with this real complex chart here is I'm trying to take simple ideas and, and make them easy to understand. So I shouldn't say it's a complicated chart, it's a, um, it's a sophisticated chart. There's a lot of depth to it. But why, why do I do that? I do that so that you'll understand the scriptures more, as well as this one right here, right? So the idea is what makes me as a pastor different than you? Because let's say today you go home, you have a Bible. I have a Bible, you have a Bible. You have Jesus, I have Jesus. You sing songs of Jesus, I sing some songs of Jesus. Well, what's really the difference? Let me help you understand a little bit of the difference. Um, when I do marriage counseling, you may be able to give some advice to somebody in a marriage, okay? You may be able to go to a scripture and go, this is what the Bible says. Here's the difference. Most of you are probably only going to be married one time, maybe two times if something, you know, doesn't work out in life, you know, three, maybe in a fourth. God, God be with you, right? But now think about this. And then if you're in your family helping people out, you may have four or five families around you with couples in your family. You know, your uncle, your aunt, your brother, your sister, whatever, okay? 
So you may have experience with maybe about eight to ten families or eight to ten couples in your sphere of influence. Our pastor is going to have thousands. So I'm going to do this day after day, couple after couple. And so what God is going to do in my life as a minister, as a leader in the church, kind of like the apostles as we see in the Bible, in the Bible, is God is going to give me experience and wisdom through these encounters that I'm having. It's the same thing with the Bible. Okay, so all of you guys have the same Bible, and you, you probably read it. And if you're new to Christianity, maybe your goal is to read the Bible. You're saying, well, I want to read the Bible this year or something. That's great. How often do you think you'll do that a day, right? Maybe you'll do it for a half hour to an hour. I get the privilege to read it for hours a day, hours, hours. And so then what happens is I do that year after year after year. So let's say the average working man, you know, let's say a man that just gets up, works nine to five, he might read his Bible half hour a day. There's seven days in a week. So that's basically about three, three and a half hours, right? And that's good because he's, he or she is being committed to the Bible. I do that on average one day, one day. You now give me an average week, and I don't usually take days off of reading my Bible and studying. I do that seven days. So as one week has gone by, I have read the Bible seven times as much as the average Joe. Do you guys get that? So what does that mean? That means I have gone back and forth with Scripture, the context, the language, the books, the understanding, and I present that to you. Here's another thing. All of us get tempted, every single one of us. I get tempted, you get tempted, I may fall into sin, you may fall into sin, we may all stumble. I mean, that, that is true for every single one of us. But how often are you going to keep somebody accountable or teach them or walk with them through it? You know, you may have an accountability partner. Maybe you're helping somebody, you know, to keep their temper under control or something like that. As a pastor, I will literally watch thousands of people grow and develop their spiritual life over the years. I've been a pastor now for 20 years, and I, I would probably say it's been thousands or at least close to that. Now, why am I saying all of this to you? Because this sermon series is literally like me giving you the best of what I have on this particular subject, which happens to be the subject that encompasses everything you do in Christianity. Now think about that, right? This is what I do. Hours in the Word, thousands of people's lives, seeing the wisdom, experiencing it, studying, praying. And what are some of those concepts that we're coming up with? Well, that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at Spiritual growth comes from a spiritual life, and that's why we're learning how to grow. And then we're learning that it's from the Spirit. And today's message is going to be on the image of Christ. And what's important about that is to understand everything I've been teaching you up until this point has been for this. It's literally just been like one big introduction. All of those points are really just making this point, that you are to reflect the image of Christ. You are to reflect. I'm to reflect it. So we're not to make excuses. We're not to get caught up like, oh, I can't do this. We're all supposed to be like, man, I'm ready. Let's go. Does that make sense to everybody? Does everybody understand what I do and why we come to church, right? That's why I read other people's books too for the same reason. So if you were to ask me, Joe, how much have you studied about, you know, Egypt? And ancient Egypt, you know, and all that Moses did there, not a lot. Well, there are scholars who spend their whole life, nine to five, 
researching ancient Egypt, looking at the Middle East, discovering what it was to be a pharaoh, discovering where uh, Moses was at in that picture and, and all of that. And so when I need to go and understand what happened there in the book of Genesis with Moses going through the Exodus, I get that book. I go to that expert, right? And it's the same thing with what you do in a li- for a living. If, you know, we have right here our, our beautiful friend Josh, he's a cook. You don't want me cooking something for you unless it's going to be hot wings or french fries, okay? The two great things that I can cook are hot wings and french fries. All day long, I will take on the best. I'll take the best of y'all on, but hot wings and french fries. Oh, yeah, and fried catfish. I forgot the fried catfish. I can get it on. Other than fried fish, hot wings, and french fries, you don't want me cooking. You don't want me trying anything, okay? Well, so that's why I go to a restaurant. And a guy like Josh, who is a cook or a chef, is back there preparing the meal. Now, whatever you're doing probably has some type of expertise to it, where I just couldn't show up today and just do what you do. You know, let's say today was your work day, and you're going to start working. I just couldn't show up and do what you do. Now, some of you may have easier jobs than others, but that's all relative. Somebody may think, oh, that's easy, that's easy. Well, have you ever done it for 40 hours a week? It may not be as easy as you think, you know. That's, that's kind of like with me. People may say, well, I wish I could just sit down and read the Bible every day for three hours a day and write these little graphs. I wish I didn't have to do anything other than that. Well, have you tried it? It gets a little bit tough, you know, and then you kind of want to get out and do other things, you know, build a building or do something with your hands. But, you know, this is what I do. And, and this is where I, I think the Lord was dealing with me on this in the first service, and I didn't get really a chance to do it, so I kind of want to start here with it. And this is where I think a lot of us, we miss this. We, we're missing what's happening here. Not only like in a sermon series like this, but we're missing what's happening in, in the exchange of, of what's going on here. Because what, what you have is an exchange. Like Peter is writing these things down to exchange information with the people he's giving it to. And that's what I'm supposed to do with you. But I feel like there are some that just don't trust it or don't understand it or think there's something up my sleeve or these scriptures really couldn't mean what they mean. So this is where I come to you as a pastor and I say, oh, trust me, they mean exactly what I'm saying. They mean. I mean, this it couldn't be more clear. Like I would have to be a terrible pastor to be able to mess this up. So now the issue isn't me necessarily as a pastor giving you these nuggies. The issue is, do you believe it? You know, and so let's look at this passage and let's see, like, do we really believe this? See, this is where faith comes into action. Second Peter chapter one, verses one and onward. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So there's so much right there, right? Like I've done my job. I said all of that to say this. I've done my job to help you understand this. Now, without me explaining this to you a hundred different ways with graphs, could you go home and explain this? I mean, could you read this to your kids and go, you know, this is what it means. This is what's going on here. Simon Peter, he's a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Come on and join us. We're having like a Bible study. Come in the first two rows. I want, I want you to get a Mother's Day gift before you go, too, okay? No problem. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, okay? So that's who he is. Now, when you're reading that, do you take something from that? You should. Can you be a servant like Peter? Yes. 
Can you be an apostle? Well, that depends. Has, call, has God called you to be an apostle? Well, he called me to be one, and that's just someone who starts churches. But has God called you to do other things? Well, Isaiah, has God called you to do something? We need to find out. I don't know. Has Joe B., has God called you to do something? What's God called you? I'm going to be talking to you guys. Don't be ashamed. Come on. What, what has God called you to do? Now, that's a spiritual answer, right? But it could also be God called me to do other things. What about Rachel? Did God call you to be a mom? Or did you just decide that on your own? He did. Can you speak up so we can hear you? He called you to be a mom. Now, we could say I could be a mom all by myself. I don't need God. Well, what kind of mom are you going to be? So you see, Simon Peter is saying, I know what I am and what God has called me to be. That's what he's saying. Can you say the same thing, Kelly? Do you know who you are and what you're called to be? I hope so. You've been coming to church for a while, amen. You guys came in looking good. You guys came in ready to learn the word. You came and brought your notes. I mean, okay, well, what's the point of that? Is the point of what we're doing here uh, just to do more church? No, the point isn't, even though this place looks cool, like we've done a lot here. We've spent a lot of money to make this place look great. And, and let me just say this, because I don't think some people understand, okay? All of you here, all of you, literally, A-L-L, all of you have come in here and have heard the beautiful worship brought through these speakers. Do you even know where these speakers came from? I mean, not a store because that's obvious. But do you know where these came from? These came from New Orleans. How did they come from New Orleans? Someone bought them there in a church that I used to pastor. So when you came here, you were hearing speakers that you didn't even think about. Obviously, it's not a big deal to you, right? I don't go into Walmart thinking about where the lights came from. So you're saying, well, I'm just coming here to do the thing. But now you're a part of a church, and you've got to understand, somebody bought those. Now you're a part of a building fund where we're buying stuff. If we're going to start 50 churches, and this is one of our churches, we're going to put them around here, right? Those sound systems can last for 10, 20 years. How many lives do you think will be changed through that? So that's how you have to know who you are. What are you called to do? Church is not just for a building. It's for people. You know, it's like the old saying, you know, here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open up the doors and here are the people. You teach that to your kids. The church is the, has a steeple and then inside are the people. We are the people. We are the called ones. Peter said, I'm a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You should all be able to say, I'm a servant. No matter, no matter what, we're all servants. Today I was operating our new video stuff. You know, we spent a lot of money on that to get all these songs and videos. And it just makes life easier. It does. And the church can grow in that way. Well, i got to train those guys on how to do it. And that's what I do. I also make these we the website. I make this. I make this graphic. A lot of the graphics you guys see, I make. Well, I thought, Joe, you're getting your doctorate in ministry. I thought all you do is preach. No, I'm a servant. I'm going to do whatever I can do to help out. Making videos, making this, that. What else? Well, yesterday I, uh, you know, came by Saturday, and I had to do things that other people forgot about. You know, and you get things done in the church. Well, we all do that. And the apostle is, you know, part of ministry. And maybe not all of us here are going to have the same kind of ministry, but we should have a ministry. Is anybody here called to work with our teenagers? Is anybody here called to work with our children? Is anybody here called to go out street evangelizing? No. So Maritza 
you guys got to find your calling, right? Because you guys want to grow in your gifts. Just like Ricky and Rachel, you guys look across each other. We've got two cute couples. Look across each other. Give each other what's up. So you see a lot of young adults here, some single folks, some engaged people. We got other couples. But the idea is, if I were you guys, continue to hang out with the Romans, continue to hang out with other couples in the church and see. And we got to pray for Salvador because his appendix is ruptured. Let's just pray for that. Lord, we know that Salvador's been in surgery. We pray that you'll heal his body, that he'll become stronger and healthier, and that you'll restore him and be uh, with his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's something that a lot of people don't even know, because maybe most of you haven't had a baby or been sick in the hospital. Anytime somebody has a baby, what do we do? We send them meals. Anybody been sick in the hospital, we send them meals. If you have ever had a baby or been sick in the hospital, we didn't send you meals. I'm sorry. We didn't know about it. We'll do better next time. Okay? But that's what we do. That's what we do at this church. Okay? To those who the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. How much more clear could Peter make this that you and I have a faith as precious as his? So once again, I've got a lot of great things to share with you today. We'll kind of do a, a more informal Bible study because Mother's Day and some people are missing. But here's the deal. I'm going to take an opportunity to go heart to heart. If you don't believe you have faith as, a, as precious as Peter, you know what the problem is? The problem is you're selfish. You're self-centered. You're looking at what you have. And a lot of jealousy is selfishness. Do you know that some of the most stingy, some of the most... Um, Jealous people I've ever met and uh, just, just really bitter people are, are sometimes the ones who have the least. The least. I used to work in the inner city. I was in New Orleans, 10 different housing projects. I will tell you what. I would watch people fight over the free cereal boxes we would give away. The free cereal boxes. I would watch them fight over it. And it wasn't because they weren't getting a cereal box. It was because they weren't getting the one they wanted. It was because they weren't getting the one they wanted. I would go down to Bourbon Street, homeless people. I'm talking any culture, white, black, pink, or purple. People on drugs, drunkards, partying, whatever. I could not pay them to get off the street. They would want to stay there because they were selfish. Now, that may not be every poor person's story, every homeless person's story, but that's what I've seen over and over and over again, over and over and over again. But God told me for a season to bring people into my house. So I, I would actually be out there witnessing a lot of homeless people in Bourbon Street, New Orleans. I know you've been around here, Josh. A lot of squatters, a lot of tents and stuff like that. Man. And I would go out there and be like, hey, you want a place to stay? No, nah, I'm good. Why? Because I'm partying out here. I'm partying. And I would ask the poor people, too, those in the inner city, those who would have nothing, nothing, Section A, food stamps, whatever, I would ask them. I would say, do you want to come to church? We'll come and pick you up. We'll come get your kids. They didn't even want to come. But then when it was time for a block party, because the DJs would come there, and uh, Master P was from the Third War, the Calio Project, the Hot Boys were from Magnolia, uh, Fifth War, Wheezy from, uh, you know, uh, Seventh Ward and Fifth Ward, and these guys, uh, Seventh Ward's uh, Little Wayne, all these guys, they would come out, DJs would come out and do block parties. And what they would do is they would sell their T-shirts, they would sell their CDs, and they would just make a, a big party out there. Oh, but the people would go to that. People who would tell me they wouldn't have ride, uh, a bus fare or whatever, even though we gave rides, they would still say, I have nothing, I, don't, I have nothing to wear. They would go out to those concerts and, and pay for the shirts, pay for the CDs, pay for this. Hello? Well, why is that? Why is that mentality? And it's a mentality that people have because they feel they're owed something. Now watch. 
That same kind of mentality I see all across Americans when it comes to your Christian faith. For some reason, you think, or many of you here think, you're owed something in Christianity. That though God has given you faith, sacrifice, all of these things, you're thinking there is no responsibility of your end. And that's where a lot of times people get confused with what I'm saying. Yes, salvation is a free gift. Everything that God does inside of us is free. But God then makes us responsible to utilize those things. So take, for example, when I go out to the west side and I see these young men and I say, hey, man, do you want to get a job? It's up to them if they want to get a job. We have people in the church that will help them get a job. We actually have what they call a headhunter or an agency, a rep here, that gets people jobs. We put it on the Good Samaritan page. You, you've seen it there, some of you who are on the Good Samaritan page. And yet, you'll see people not even want to try. We have people here at this church that work at an alternative school that take those who have dropped out or been kicked out to get them their high school education. And you can almost uh, see the school uh, struggling, as he tells me, to get people to join because people won't come. They, they get their grants based on the students that come, and it's so hard to get the students to come for them to get their grants. They're struggling every single month to meet their quota, and yet you go right down to the street here, you won't find, uh, it will not be empty. There will be enough young people to fill it up in, in 20 minutes. You know what I'm saying? And that was a high school dropout I'm speaking to right now. But the point is, we're feeling like we're owed something. But here's the thing. Christ does give us salvation. He gives it to us as a gift. He gives us faith, and now he wants us to do something with it. And that's what spiritual growth is. It's are you going to do something with it? God gave you a body. He gave you a mind. Are you going to do something with it? Are you going to say, God, this is my life. I want to live for you. That's what Peter is saying. Look at it again. Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our God and, uh, and of Jesus our Lord. Watch. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. Who called us by His own glory and goodness. It says right there, we've been given everything we need. How many Christians do you think really believe that? I don't think many. I don't think many. Many don't believe that they have everything they need. They keep thinking, I have to do something else. And that something else is selfish and it leads to their sin, and it leads to their defeat, and they wonder why things aren't changing. Peter's trying to tell you, you've been given everything you need. Just let me give you this example one more time. When I would speak to that homeless per person in Bourbon Street, of course my power is limited. But I really meant what I said. I can give you everything you need for this at this time. And what I would mean is this. I can get you a bed, get you a pillow, get you a hot shower, get you clothes, had all of that in my house. I can then get you a job because I had a place where they would always take day laborers and I can get you a good church. Amen. Here's a good pastor staring at you. And I, and I can get you to the next level if you tell me there's other things that need to get done. Some of these guys had to pay off their warrants, et cetera, et cetera. I remember one guy came into my house and within 24 hours, literally I brought him in that night from partying. He sobered up. He had really no clothes, or at least they smelled like urine, no good clothes. So I had to give him new clean clothes before we could wash his, you know. And then 
he began to ask me, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, here's the rule for staying with me. You've got to follow me wherever I go. And this is the life that I live as a pastor. I go to church every day. I go there to pray, read, study my Bible. Then I go out in the community. I meet people. Then I come back home and hang out and have fun. But, you know, that's what you're going to do. And he said, well, can I drink? Can I smoke? Can I do all that? I said, no, you can't do any of that. I said, you've got to live just like how I'm living, just like how Jesus is living, right? Now, he got upset. He yells at me, and he leaves. And as he's leaving, he's yelling, and uh, I, I try to talk to him, and he keeps walking, so he's kind of yelling at me in public. And then there's a moment where he really, like, he gets his, his real anger up and his real frustration, and he turns around, and he says, you Christians are all just alike. You don't care about anybody, you know, blankety-blankety-blank. And while he's saying that, I notice he's wearing my shirt, he's wearing my pants, and he's wearing my shoes. He's wearing the clothes out of my closet I just gave him because his smelt like urine. And he's telling me I don't care about him and I don't love him and I don't have anything good to give him. And I said, the devil's such a liar. He, Jesus here, has given us everything we need. And yet we're yelling back at Jesus. You haven't given me nothing, Jesus. You haven't given me what I need. I need this. I need this. I want this. And, and Jesus is looking back at us going, you ungrateful, spoiled child. I gave you air to breathe. I gave you eyes to see, ears to hear, feet to walk, brain to think, heart to beat, lungs to breathe. Come on. And you're saying, I don't give you anything. And then in salvation, I gave you the cross. I gave you my blood. I washed you clean. I gave you my spirit. And then we have people going, Jesus hasn't done anything for me. Isn't that a problem? It's such a greedy, selfish attitude, isn't it? Because it's almost like if Jesus doesn't become our personal little bellboy, he's not good to us. And so what we do is we make Jesus out not to be God, but we make him out to be our little genie in a bottle. And so, Jesus, if you don't heal my body right now, you're not good. And Jesus, if you don't stop my grandma from dying, you're not good. And Jesus, if you don't stop my company from closing down, you're not good. And Jesus, if, if you don't make this job pay me more, you're not good. And all of a sudden, it's not about God. It's not about the word. It's not about what the kingdom of God is doing upon this earth. What it's about now is just what we want. You see what I'm saying? It's selfish. It's selfish. It's selfish. You didn't create your grandma, and God loves your grandma more than you. And when God says it's time, it's time. You don't get to decide. I don't get to decide. As much as we may hurt in this world, we don't get to decide. The very fact that we can see good shows us that there is a good God. The evil must be from some other source. Because the same source that brings us the sunshine and the smile of a new baby, all of that cannot be where the pain comes from. And yet, we know light overcomes darkness. Think about that. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness doesn't overcome light. So we get an understanding that whatever God is, it must be good, and whatever is evil must not be God, and that must not be as powerful as God. That's even before I look at the Bible. Before I even look at the Bible, I see light overcomes darkness, sun overcomes di the, day, uh, the night. I begin to see, and then I learn through the Bible 
that man sins, and that's why there's pain and suffering, and it happens even to innocent people. And then I see that Jesus takes on our sins and our sufferings, and he does it to give us hope in this world. And even though we suffer and temporarily feel like he's not there or we don't understand him, he's actually working in the midst of this as a master chess player for the win, for his glory, and for our good. I begin to understand that, wow, there's something at work here that's bigger than me now. It's called the plan of God, the purpose of God. So that divine power is not a game. It's not a joke. It's something real, and I experience it through my knowledge of him. Look at that. His divine power has given us everything we need through a, a, for a godly life through our knowledge of him. So how much do you know him? I mean, how much do you know him, Augustine? I mean, that's got to be the desire of your heart. I want to know him more. So what comforts our heart? Knowing him. When Ricky lost his mother to cancer, which was well before her time, and bad mothers lived a lot longer than her, and she was a woman of God, how does Ricky find comfort? By knowing God. By knowing Jesus. How did my mother, who did nothing but love, nothing but love her daughter, my sister Jenny, and yet Jenny was an alcoholic, a drug addict, and finally ended her own life by drinking and driving. How does my mother find peace and joy again? How does she find hope again? Through Jesus, through knowing Jesus. That's how we overcome. Now look, through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's why I've said it over and over again. We're born in an evil world with a naughty nature, but we're born again into Christ's kingdom by divine nature. So do you hold on to the promises? Do I hold on to them? Do we participate, dance with the divine? Do we say like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Because if you don't want to participate, look at this world, that you may what? Participate. Look at that word. What is that word? participate. Got to stand up on this one. Come on. If you don't want to participate in the divine nature, he is not going to make you. He is not going to make you. Tony, please come up here, please. I, I want to give you uh, an example. This may be a little weird, but it's going to be funny. Now, Tony, I want you to play two roles today. The first role I want you to play is a rebellious sinner who doesn't want to dance with Jesus. So I want you to hold your ground and not move. There you go. Now, Jesus says, come with me this way. And he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to participate. Does it look like he wants to participate? No. He doesn't want to participate. Now, I want you to pretend like you and I are dancing with somebody uh, from the right arm. From the right arm. The right arm. The right arm. Let's give it up for Tony. Thank you. I mean, that's participation. That's what it looks like, Giovanni, right there. If you don't want to dance with Jesus, you just, I don't want to do it, Jesus. I don't want to. I don't want to participate. I don't want to participate. I mean, don't you get something out of that word? Uh, you know, when I think of somebody not participating, I think about when I go out to play with my kids and somebody has a bad attitude, they don't want to do it, they cry, they run away, and then you say to them, come on, participate. Join us. Come, come. That's what Jesus is saying. Come on, participate with my divine nature. 
Well, I'm stuck. No, you're not. I'll get you out. I've given you everything you need. And the Bible says we can escape the corruption in the world. Do I want to escape the corruption? Yes. Is there any other sin that I want to keep doing? No. No, no, no. Now, for this reason, we make every effort to add to our faith. See, i got to make an effort now. The guy who wants the job has to make an effort. The one who wants to get an A has to make an effort. So I'm in my doctoral classes, all of my masters. I basically got straight A's except one B. And now I got my first B minus in a long time. And it hurt. But I have got to make an effort now if I want to get an A. And he literally, this professor, wrote three pages of critique about my writing. And you know I've written nine books, but he critiqued me so hard. And he said for three pages, over and over and over again, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to write on this level, you have to raise your writing level. You have to do it. And he kept going at it. You have to do it. You cannot do this for three pages. Now, I could take it, Rachel, as just like, oh, who is he, and get all upset. Doesn't he know? And try to compare because I know that this guy doesn't do ministry because he's one of those professors studying the, these, these di- detailed things while I'm doing ministry, right? Like he's studying Egyptian stuff while I'm working with thousands of people over my lifetime, but he's just looking at one, one aspect of ministry. But here's the deal. I said, well, that's his passion. That's what he's good at. He's good at writing. He's good at details. He's good at research. And he's given me some so I could get sassy or I could make an effort. Raise it up. See, I'm already a Trinity divinity student. I'm already a doctoral student. My effort, Augustine, does not change my identity. I am already that. But I have to make an effort to show myself worthy of that. Do you get that? I have to make myself worthy of that. I have to show that when they then confer to me a doctoral degree, that it wasn't something that they just did because I was a nice guy. And so Christianity, we're starting at the finish line. Other religions are trying to save themselves. We're starting being saved. Other religions are trying to change themselves. We're starting at already being changed. So what excuse do we have? Since we be, now we do. Since we be, now we do. I be a Christian, now I can do what a Christian does. Since I be a child of God, I can act like my father. Lucas was born into our family with the identity of a Wyrostic. Now he can learn to be a Wyrostic, to act as a, to learn to act as one. So that's why we make effort. So are you making effort? Are you literally making effort to add goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love to your faith? Because look what Peter said. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Does everybody see that? Look at it. If you don't do it, you will be ineffective. So now Peter goes, yeah, you guys all have a faith muscle. Look at it like this. You all have a faith muscle just like me. But does your faith muscle do what mine does? See, we all have a muscle here like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But does our arm look like his? No. Why? Because we haven't done what he has done with his faith muscle, his uh, arm muscle. So what did Peter do with his faith muscle? He walked on water. 
He exercised his faith, the faith that Jesus gave him. He took it serious, and he made an effort with it. He made effort with faith. He put work to his faith. Do you get it? Day of Pentecost comes. He wasn't ashamed to preach. He made effort with his faith. He made effort with his faith to hear what the Holy Spirit was saying so he could write Scripture. He made effort with his faith to travel and preach the word. Are you making effort with your faith to increase? That's how you grow. Why? Okay, come on, let's just let's slow it down here. Slow it down even more. Today, if someone goes to hell, let's say today uh, we were all on a plane, and we're on a plane, and God forbid it crashes, and we're all at judgment, right? Some of us go to heaven, some of us go to hell. That's hopefully everybody here goes to heaven, right? But let's say if there's anybody here that goes to hell, could be me, could be you, could be anybody who doesn't know Christ. So just use that as an example. What is going to be the difference? Faith. That's the only difference. Faith is what saves us. That is what Scripture has taught us from day one is that faith is what saves us. Just look at it here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and onward, or uh, let's say, look right here. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? This is not from yourselves, it is the what? Gift of God. Now, one goes to hell, one goes to heaven. Let's say I'm the one that goes to heaven. Am I now going to say, I saved myself, look at me, I have faith. No, I'm going to turn right around to Jesus and say, thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you. It was you. I didn't die on the cross. You did. I didn't raise from the dead. You did. I didn't live a sinless life. You did. I didn't send the Holy Spirit. You did. Thank you, Jesus. You gave me the gift of faith to believe you. You gave me salvation. Okay? Now, the one that goes to hell, can they look back at God and go, well, thank you, God. You know what? You just created me to go to hell. No. They, they chose go to hell. They chose. They can't be angry at God. They can only be angry with themselves. They know that they heard the same thing you and I heard. They heard about Jesus. And I don't have time to talk about what if they did not hear about Jesus, but let's take for the example of everyone hearing about Jesus. And there's plenty of those going to hell. So we don't have to go to some remote jungle in the Congo and go, what about them? Well, the thing about them is when they hear the gospel, they repent. They're not stubborn like the one usually asking that question, right? Okay, let's be honest. Church is growing faster in the Congo than it is upon U of I or UIC with little snotty-nosed college kids thinking they know better, you know? Well, what about those who never heard about Jesus? Well, I'm going to go tell them about Jesus. That's the point, okay? Anyway, here's, here's, here's the thing. That person goes to hell. It ain't God's fault. God says, you heard the word. I told you the same thing I told Joe. I, I gave you the same opportunity to have faith just like I gave it to Joe. I even sent a man named Peter to write it down and go, everybody here, you all have faith. This is precious as ours. Right? So do you understand that that spiritual growth is the same substance of salvation? It's, it's still faith. It's not like I'm saved by faith and now by works I make myself grow. No, I'm adding to my faith these things. My faith. So it's by faith I'm saved, by faith I grow in my salvation, right? By faith my mind is renewed and my behavior, by faith. 
by faith, as we'll get to the end, because i got another like 17 verses to read you through here. When we get to that, you'll see it's by faith. It's all by faith. It was never us. So the dance is just don't resist. Think of it like this. Imagine you're drowning in a pit. You fell in the pit. It's your fault that you're there, but you're drowning, okay? Let's say somebody said, don't walk there. there this is da- too dangerous. There's, you know, wells that they used to have uh, water, you know, in. They're covered up. You won't know where it's at. You're in a jungle somewhere. And you just, you ignore. Out of rebellion, you go walk around, and now you've fallen into this pit. Does everybody get what I'm talking about here? You're there. Salvation is simply this. Jesus coming down himself on that road and saying, do you want me to save you? If you do, trust me. And then he'll just put on a little belt and then raise you up with the wet, you know, put on a belt. The one who goes to hell literally says to Jesus, don't save me. Leave me here. I don't want to be rescued. I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I don't want you. For whatever reason, that's what they do. Does everybody get that? That's why they go to hell. So the one who says, yes, that is the humble person. That is the one that Christ saves. So that's why it says he gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Okay. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and, uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So confirm your calling. So are you called? Have you been elected? Do you believe this? Now confirm it. Live like it. Does anybody have any questions right here before I go on? Let's take advantage of the smaller group today. Any questions? I'll let you know if it doesn't because i got to stay on subject. kind of has to do with this. Why do people blame stuff on God? Because they're ignorant of who God is. That's what we went up to here. It's through our knowledge of him that we participate in his divine power and understand what he's doing. To know his will. So if I know God is good, then I'll never blame evil on him. Thank you. I'll never blame evil on God. So if I sin, can't blame it on God, it's my fault. Evil happens in the world, it's because of the curse of Adam and Eve and what we did to this perfect pla- uh, perfect planet. I love what somebody said. They said, if, uh, if I'll see God, I'll believe him. And then the, the meme says, God was already here for everybody to see, and then they crucified him. <laughs> Hello. You know what I'm saying? It's like whatever which way you can think you'll do differently, mankind has had a choice and has not done differently every time. You think you would have done differently if you saw miracles. People say, oh, if I, if I see the heavens opened up and I see this. Pharaoh saw it seven different times or ten times. The plagues of Egypt, sky opening up, rivers turning to blood. And he even knew it was God. They were very aware that it was God at that time. And yet he still was rebellious. He still didn't listen. And when the very God that did all of that to him split the Red Sea in two, He went chasing after the people God was doing that for to kill them. And then that God threw the waters back on him. Sin will make a fool out of you. Jericho, all these other examples. But just think about Pharaoh. Sin will make a fool out of you. So angry 
that he runs into the Red Sea to kill the people God has protected over and over and over again. Don't think you're any different. We have all acted that way. We have all done that. So the idea is don't be ignorant anymore. Don't be foolish anymore. That's why these songs are written like, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was dead, but now I'm alive. Because we're getting this picture of what it looks like without Christ. It's a darkened understanding. The people of the world don't understand. The Bible says their carnal mind, their ungodly mind, the fleshly mind, doesn't understand the things of God. So, when we look at what we're talking about in this series, just real quick because I want to get to these other scriptures, we're starting with the new man. That's, that's who Peter's talking to. You've been given all that you need, divine power, a divine nature, the new person, born again. And then he says, now make effort, now grow. And so growing is knowing, showing to grow. That's how I grow. And I've shown that to you. I know that Jesus is God and Savior. I know that I share in the divine nature. I believe that I can do all that he commands me to do. So I become obedient in these things. Peter goes on to tell you a whole bunch of things you ought to do. And 1 Peter tells you a whole bunch of things to do. We're reading 2 Peter. So these are basically 12 commands for every Christian. Read your Bible. Keep your family in order. Memorize scripture, etc. Pray. Tell others about Jesus. Well, that's how you grow in those things he said to grow in. Because if you don't have the definition of good right from the scripture, how are you going to go be good? Somebody could say right now, well, I want to grow in goodness. I just want to grow in goodness. But they don't want to know and show according to the Bible. Well, if I'm a pastor and I want to grow in goodness, I may want to start marrying same-sex couples. Because I want to be good. I want to be kind. I want to be uh, mutual affection. I want to love somebody as I would want to be loved. I would like to be married. They would like to be married. But you see, if I haven't read my Bible and prayed, I'm loving a wrong way. I'm good in a wrong way. And it's really not goodness. So that's why the showing, the spiritual discipline, comes from the knowing. Jesus said, if you know me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. It's all throughout the Bible. This knowing and loving are considered as one idea. But if you really know him, you're going to love him. And then you'll obey him. And you'll show it. And so this example of spiritual growth, it comes right like into every part of our lives, our marriages. So let's say if Ricky wants to grow in his love for Rachel, he needs to know what makes her happy, show it to her, and then the love grows. If I want to grow in my love for Nancy, I need to know what she likes and doesn't like. I need to have a foundation of belief, and then I need to show it the way she wants me to show it. If she says, I don't like it when you uh, talk about my weight in public, I'm not going to talk about her weight in public. If I start doing that, I should know that's going to decrease our love or decrease my goodness for her. But if she says, what I do like is when you hold my hand in public. I do like it when you take me and the kids for a walk before we go to bed. Now, when I show that, we grow in our love. We grow in our marriage. Does everybody get that? So how are you going to grow in goodness? Well, you need to know God and you need to show it. How are you going to grow in your knowledge? Know God more. Study his word and now show it. Does that make sense? I mean, to me, I want it to be so clear everybody gets it. I just want to grow up in my spirituality. I want to grow up and be the kind of person God made me to be. I want to be the kind of person Adam was supposed to be before he sinned. 
See, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. That's how we started. I'll get to it in just a second before I see that. We started in the image of God. Then we fell into sin, and all of this crazy stuff happened afterwards. But Jesus came to die for us. Why? To restore the image of God back to us. To restore what Adam and Eve had lost. First in our soul and spirit, and then lastly at the resurrection of our body. We get a new body back. That's why it was so important for Jesus to rise from the dead to show us what a new, complete life looks like. We are right now groaning inside of this tent. And trust me, I'm waking up at 39, as a 39-year-old starting to groan a little bit. And the Bible says the trees groan and the, and the creation groans, the earthquakes, the hurricanes. The, we all know there's something not right in the world. Just stop and think about this. We all want goodness, but we don't know how to get it. Without Christ, we don't know how to get it. Just right on the bus, right on the train one day. You'll see how everybody wants goodness, but no one knows how to get it. Someone wants them to be quiet because they're too loud. Why? Because it's good to be quiet on the bus. Someone wants you not to step on their toe. And if you did by accident, tell them, you say, excuse me, or sorry. Why? Because you should be good to your neighbors. And we want the bus driver to slow down before he stops instead of just pushing on the brake and having me hit my head against the window, right? All of these things. We all, like in our mind, know how we should be treated. We get into relationships with each other, and, and, and we can point it out so easily. You should be more under control. You shouldn't yell at me like that. You should be more kinder. You should be more patient. We all, like, know on the inside where, where kind of the direction of goodness lies and kindness lies. But the problem is it is a vast uh, sin between us and that goodness, and we can never cross it. And we can never get through it. And every time we try to get there, we still mess it up. And it just reminds me of the Pope. You know, he's supposed to be this real perfect guy. And somebody starts messing with the Pope. Did you guys see that? And then he gets angry. And he shows he lacks patience. You know why? Because if the Pope doesn't grow in patience, he'll stay an angry man. Hello? If I don't grow in patience, I'll stay an angry man. We have to be made new and grow. And let me get to your question in just a second. And so that's what this is about. New man, new creation, knowing, showing, and growing, and then a transformation happens. The mind is renewed. The body follows. As I am knowing Christ more, showing Christ more, and growing in character, naturally the mind thinks on new things. I don't think about women the way I used to because I have been spending time in God's presence knowing how he created women in his image, that I'm to respect them. I'm showing it by not holding them, touching them, trying to get their numbers. And as that process happens, I grow and change. That's, so we do all want change. I get that. But we don't start trying to change ourselves. We start admitting we have to deny ourselves. Taking up our cross and following Jesus and then being obedient to him. Making these efforts that he's telling us to do. And then the growth comes. And that's why, in all honesty, I've met men who have struggled with por pornography as long as I've been a Christian. They're 20 years old. They still struggle with it. And when I tell them the last time I looked at it was 1996, they don't have a way of computing that. Because what they'll say to me is, well, there must be something different about you. And I say, no, you have faith just as precious as mine. Oh, you must have had it easy. No, I had just as much temptation as you because my flesh is just like yours. Well, what was the difference? I made every effort. I made every effort. I started to know who God was, who I was. I showed it, and then I, I grew. Now, that's how every sin is dealt with. I, I want to be able to say that about everything. Now, 
It doesn't matter whether or not I achieve moral perfection in this world. God still forgives me. He loves me. But the point is, do I want that? Yes. Do you want that? I mean, how else can you interpret this? I'm going to have Ricky read this out loud for me, and you guys tell me what this means to you. Ricky, read Matthew 5.48, please. I mean, if you don't want that, why did you want to be born again anyways? Right? If you didn't want that, then just keep seeing Father Tom and play religion. Just keep confessing your naughty secrets in a dark closet and keep doing them and confess them and keep doing them. Light another candle and pretend you want to change. But that's not me. That's not the Bible. If you want to be born again, what you're saying is, I don't want to be the imperfect person I was anymore. What you're saying is, I don't want to be hurt anymore. I want to be whole. I don't want to be broken. I don't want to know. I don't want to be confused about evil anymore. I want to know right from wrong. I want to be able to clearly make choices in life. Does everybody get that? And that's why it says in Hebrews chapter 6 that we have to uh, move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. This is talking about growth. And uh, take and move forward to maturity, move forward, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and of faith in God. Grow up. It, there's more to this thing than just knowing I need to repent for dumb things that I've did that would lead me to hell. And I believe in God. Our testimonies need to stop being, I, you know, well, uh, you know, we should if we testify about being free from sin, that's great. But some of you just like, you know, I'm not a sinner anymore and I have faith. Well, come on, there's more to Christianity than that. You've got to start talking about things other than that. There's a maturity. Imagine if my daughter just came home and said, Dad, the greatest thing I learned today is, is that you love me and that I don't have to do dumb stuff at the house. Now imagine, she says it again next week. This is what I learned at church today. Or this is what I learned. Uh, you love me, and I don't have to do dumb stuff. A- after a while, I'll be like, did you ever learn how to do anything good? Did you ever learn how to please me? Did you ever learn how to find your purpose and enjoyment in life and know what God created you for and to do all things as unto the Lord, dance unto the Lord, sing unto the I mean, is all you're doing here is just not doing bad stuff and just believing that I'm a good guy? See, that's what it's trying to teach us here, is that we should grow up. It says we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear because you no longer try to understand. People don't want to understand. In fact, though by this time some of you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So do you see my frustration here as a pastor, Demetria? It's when I have to keep giving people the breast milk when it's like, man, there's so much more for you. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What makes a Christian a good Christian, a mature Christian, a a true disciple? A mature disciple is someone that's been trained to distinguish good from evil. They have grown up. They're they're a new man. The growth has happened, and the renewal and transformation is being proven true. Even if they stumble and fall, it's still being proven true. Even if I did lose my temper last week, it's still being proven true that I don't ever have to lose my temper again. 
right? It's being proven true. Even though I haven't looked at pornography, but I've lusted, right? But it's still being true, proven true that if I'm free from pornography and I'm free on some days from lust, I can be free all days from lust. It's proven true. It's shown true. I'm confirming it. I'm confirming. Jesus said, hey, I got something I want to be confirmed. Work my word and it will work for you. Oh, I did it, Jesus, and it actually worked. Confirmation. He's like, bingo, do it again. Okay, I'll work your word, and it worked for me. <laughs> Look at that. I'll work your word, and it works for me. God always works. His ways always work. We're going to get to the message in just a second. Look at your neighbor and say, it's just the introduction. I've got 17 more verses and five takeaways to read you in a hymn, okay? It's all there waiting. Bible studies go a little longer, right? No, I'm kidding. We got Bible school. But just be patient with me. Watch. So now just put it all together. New birth is what? Being made like Christ. Spiritual growth, knowing, showing, and growing, is growing like Christ. And what is renewal and transformation? Thinking and acting like Christ. I start as a new person. I'm not doing this to be a better person. I'm doing this to reflect Christ more. The light bulb's already been screwed on. Electricity is flowing. But I'm making sure that I don't have... Of dirtiness covering the light. I'm learning how to let the light shine freely. See, the light is my salvation. Christ flowing through me. It's given to me. I don't get more of it or less of it. It's there. It's salvation. Christ has interwoven himself in me. He has knit himself in my heart. He has shined his light in me. It says we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. You get that. But now I need to grow with that. Show that, think like that, act like that, and then you'll see Christ. You'll see Christ in me. You will see Christ in me, and I'll see Christ in you. But we all, everybody say we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. From glory to glory. So I was at one level of a husband when I got married, but I was a husband nonetheless. By definition of what a husband was, I was that perfectly. What is the definition of a husband? A man married to a wife. Perfect. I was a man married to a wife. Perfect. It was done. But did I daily act as the kind of husband that Christ is to the church? No. So I am a husband by nature, growing to show the reflection of Christ in my marriage. So I may have a definition of a perfect marriage, but I don't always act as I am perfectly married. And that's why I think about this. Everybody think about this. Look at me, please. You've heard this at weddings. Whatever God has joined together, let no man tear apart. And everybody goes, well, that doesn't work. Look, just watch, real, just watch the Real Housewives of uh, Beverly Hills. They get tore apart all the time. Well, here's the thing. They didn't take that word serious. See, for someone like me who takes it serious, I don't believe I'll ever have a divorce because I take it serious. So that means I'm letting God continually join us together, keep us as one. I'm not doing things to violate the covenant that brought us together as one. And so by keeping that word, I stay in that marriage. Do you get it? So let's just say it like this. Peter's walking on water. He can walk on water as long as he has faith in Christ. He turns away, he sinks. That's how everything in life is. Everything. Just think of the astronaut. He can have as much fun out there as he wants as long as he has oxygen. Oxygen runs out, no more fun. Right? 
You can live for Jesus and do everything that Jesus said for you to do. But you got to have faith. you got to trust him. If you stop trusting him, you can't do anything. How many are ready for the message? Amen. Let me just read it to you in closing. We'll get going. Let me just read this to you. Can I, now let me ask you this. So I had a longer introduction here. Can I ask you this? Think about what Peter said, our explanation of it, and see if Paul confirms it in these 17 verses. Just, just see. See if I did a good job. You remember I told you what my job was? See if I did a good job of this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I wish I could just stop and ask every single one of you. Do you see it? Do you see it? Since you have been raised with Christ, since this has happened, now do these other things. Since new birth has happened, now grow, reform, you know, come on, reflect. Since those things have happened, and you're dead, by the way, and you're hidden in Christ now. You have a life, but it's not the one you used to have. Oh, come on. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming, y'all. You used to walk in these ways in the, one, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Rid yourself. If I gave you anthrax right now, how long would it take for you to get rid of it? If I gave you AIDS, how long would it take in a vial? How long would it take you to get rid of it? If I gave you strychnine, how long would it take to get rid of it? Get rid of your sin right now. You're a new person. You used to walk in these ways in the, in, in the life you once lived, but get rid of this. Now look at verse 9. Do not lie to each other. Why should we not lie to each other and do all these other things? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, now clothe yourselves with kindness, compassion, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let, everybody say let. Come on, thank you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it. Let it. You're not at peace in your marriage. Let God's peace in your marriage. You're not at peace in your mind. Let God's peace in. You're always messy. Messy people cause messes, y'all. Let the peace of Christ in. Hurt people, hurt people. Since you were as one member's called, as one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now watch. With all wisdom through hymns, psalms, songs from the Spirit, singing to, gra to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, here's, here it is. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, see, some of you want to start right there, but don't understand where he, he started. He didn't start at behavior modification. He didn't start at you trying to wash your car before you brought it to a car wash. He started with, since you had been raised, since you had been saved, since all of this had already happened, now you can do all of this. Take off the old, put on the new, and do everything as unto God. Do you get it? 
See, that's how it works. That's how we see God in us. That's how we trust him. It's because it starts with the new birth. It goes into our growing, which comes from knowing and showing. And then that transformation of thinking and acting. It's a real process of growth in us. And what does the world see? What should you see? Is that Christ is in you. That Christ truly has changed you. Now let me just summarize it like this as we get ready to go here. This is the uh, true introduction. Think about this. As much as Jesus reflects the Father, you reflect Jesus. Come on, get that in your heart. When Jesus was upon the earth, did he reflect the Father? Now as much as Jesus did that, we are to do for Jesus. Jesus reflected the Father, we reflect Jesus. For many, this truth may seem unbelievable and maybe even blasphemous. However, it is exactly what the Bible teaches concerning mankind being made in the image of God. Somebody say the image of God. Come on, that's why we were made this way. Now watch, Scripture teaches that just as Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, we as born-again believers are the image of the ascended Christ. Think about that. Was Jesus the image of God the Father on earth? You are now the image of Christ on earth. That's literally what it means to be a Christian, Christ-like. Paul wrote further on, and we don't have time to get into all of Paul's writings here, but in Colossians 2.9, he said, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. How much deity... Did Jesus have from the Father, full or partial? How much of Jesus' image do you have in you, full or partial? Isn't that amazing? The fullness of Christ is in you. The fullness of Christ is what wants to come out of you into your behavior so that all you and I do glorifies God. Just as the flesh given to Jesus at the incarnation and revealed at the resurrection was filled to the full measure of God, believers have been given the fullness of Christ via the Holy Spirit at new birth. Look at Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? How does he dwell in our hearts? Through faith. What separates us and those going to hell? Faith. That he dwells in us through faith that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. By faith, all the fullness of God is in me today. Therefore, there is no doubt. Everybody go, no doubt. No doubt that we as Christians have the full measure of God living in us so that we may reflect the image of Jesus everywhere we go. Can I show you a hymn? Because listen to what, what it said here in Colossians. In Colossians, look how unique the Bible is. Not only, are, no, not only are we to teach the way I was teaching, you know, sitting down, giving the word, but we are also to teach with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Rachel, I never understood this scripture until just yesterday. You want to know why God has put it on my heart? during the time of altar time, to literally turn this direction and worship the Lord. You have known that as my habit for years. You have seen me do it, big, small services. I do it all the same. You know why? It's because God has given me the next part of the message. But this time it's in a song. I'm free because you made me free. And I'm free because you made me free. And I'm free because you made me free. And I will never be the same. I got that from the Lord. 
When I sang that over the service that I was in, people began to worship God in a new way. How about this? I'm new because you made me new. All these little melodies, what are they doing? They're teaching us. They're admonishing us about who we are in Christ. So wouldn't you know it that while I'm writing this sermon, I'm looking at some old hymns, being blessed, singing them to the Lord, and God teaches me a new one that I never heard about. I I read it. I didn't write it, but I, I read it. And listen to me, uh, listen to this, and tell me if it doesn't touch your life, make it change mine. And here's the five takeaways of, of uh, Colossians all right there. Listen to this. Listen to the name of the song. This is, like, this is not like Hillsong, repeat the same three words a hundred times here. This is real depth here. Real depth. My old man was crucified with him. That's the name of the song written in the 1800s. Watch this. My old man was crucified with him with all its foul corruption deep within, and buried to its nature serpentine, completely finished, this great fact is mine. I hold it fast. But there's a person in my spirit now, born as a babe, so small, so weak, so low, who by the words pure milk will grow to be the overcoming man in me to gain my heart. Christ as my person must possess my heart and be preeminent in every part. The former owner died but haunts it still. O Lord, move in my mind, emotion, will. Now welcome thee. In spirit mingled, we are one, O Lord. That is so amazing. i got to read that again. In spirit mingled. This guy had a revy of that. In spirit mingled, we are one, O Lord. The divine and hu- oh, excuse me, the human and divine in one accord. Yet thou must have a proper facility that all thy glorious personality may be expressed. This must be the kind of song where the little last verse doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like everything else rhymes with that last line. So, Lord, I give my heart to thee today that it may be thy home in every way, a place for thee to come and settle down and all thy grand recovery work to crown in one new man. Would you stand up with me, please, as Rachel comes? Will you give the Lord a hand clap for his word? Amen. (laughs) Time went long. Joby, let me answer your question privately. Thank you guys for participating in a Bible study format. Let's bring our friends next week and have church. Amen. Oh, Lord, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today that in our spirits mingled, we are one. God, the human and divine, you came to live in our hearts. You came to transform us, to change us. Right now with your, uh, you know, right now with your heart and attitude of prayer, would you just simply start from those different steps I gave? Number one, have you been made a new creation? If you have not, just ask God to make you new. Ask to be born again. You know, ask the Lord. Just say, Lord, I want to I wanna love you. I want to be with you. Do that right now. Take time to do that. God has a plan for your life. Those of you who would say, I am born again, would you right now search your heart and see what areas you need to grow in? Where do you lack knowledge? Where would you say, like, man, it's hard for me to believe this. It's hard for me to to trust God in this area of my life. 
Start to confess it to the Lord now. I know that that's how I grow is by being honest with Jesus. And then thirdly, if you would say, Pastor, you know, I truly do love God. I truly am growing. And uh, I sense that as I've been coming, I've been reflecting his word as well. Uh, What do I do? Well, I would say pray now for the Lord to direct you where to get your shine on, where to shine the light of Christ. Where can you reflect Christ more? Where would he want you to do that? On your job? With your family? Especially today on Mother's Day. Mothers should be praying, Lord, help me to reflect you as a mother, to be Jesus to my children. Fathers, to be like God the Father, right? Let's look at those three areas to pray right now. For the one who's not saved, to give their heart to Jesus. For the one that needs to grow in certain areas, confess them to the Lord, your weakness, and start to focus on those areas to make effort, ask for strength. And then for those who truly want to reflect God, seek after the Lord to be a person of influence, a torch bearer, shining the light of God in a dark world. Would you do that right now? Just as Rachel sings softly, your love is extravagant. Would you put up the slides there for us, Jose? Just pray before we worship, please. We'll worship in just a moment, but let the prayer come first from your heart. Jesus. Today, Lord, we want to be transformed, heart, soul, mind, body. We want to live for you in all that we do, God. May the lost be saved here, God. We never know when it's our last day, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, show us the areas of our life today that need to grow. Give us those paths, God, those paths of growth where your spirit leads us naturally to change. I want to grow up, Jesus. I want to grow up, Jesus. Just a few more moments between you and the Lord. What does it mean to you today to reflect the image of Christ? And if you've noticed it, all of us could pray all three today. Literally, if you weren't saved, you could start off praying a prayer of salvation, moving into areas of growth, and now places where you want to reflect God. So no matter where you started off in our prayer time today, all of us should be ending at the place of reflection. All of us right now should be coming to this attitude of, Christ, I want you to be the center of my life. I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. I want my words to reflect you. No filthy language. I want my marriage to be holy and pure. I want to get along with outsiders. I want to be a peacemaker, even with those who don't like me, God. Even in the midst of suffering, I don't want to be a complainer. There are so many good things to receive from today's message. Amen. Amen. Now let's sing it with some passion. Come on, Rachel. Let's sing it together, would you, before we go. Your love is extravagant.
Come on, let's sing it out. I find I'm moving. you made me new. Put it up, Jose. This is one to encourage you. And I'm new because you made me Amen. Altar workers, would you come? If you guys need prayer before you go, find someone to pray with you. If you got questions about the Bible study, come to me or one of the leaders here. But don't you just want to leave out of here reflecting God? Amen. You know it's going to get tested, so don't think it's strange when you go through a fiery trial, even on the bus ride home or pulling out the parking lot. I'm telling you, man, it will get tested. But hey, light overcomes darkness. Reflect that image of God wherever you go. We ended the first service with some testimonies, and I would love to give you a few just right now of how people reflect the image of God in their everyday life. Rachel, would you just share how you reflect God's image as a nurse that works 12-hour shifts, sometimes being unappreciated? How do you reflect Jesus on your job? Amen. Man, I reflect Jesus on my job by exhibiting goodness. A lot of people come in and they're tired, they're they're misunderstood, they're emotional, they're uh, they're having new babies, so it's it's a stretch for them. And and just sitting down and really listening to the concerns, man, really crying with them, like saying it's gonna be okay, and just and just seeing how much they appreciate that, man. They they really can see the love of God through me, and and they um, receive that. That's how I show that. Amen. Ricky, I don't want to put too much out there, but I know you love to share it a little bit about your father not always being there or at least not in church, not putting God first. And you have a story about you and your brother basically went two different routes. You know, one went to the streets and you went to church with your mom. And now you're a father. Would you share a little bit about how God uses you as a father to shine the light to your children in a way that you had never saw from your earthly father? Man, I think the best way is uh, to be a, a good husband. Uh, you know, he wasn't the best example of what a husband should be like. So I think uh, showing my kids uh, the love that I have for my wife, uh, just showing her that love, that, you know, being considerate, being compassionate, I think that, you know, just giving them that example shows of what a, a father should be like and what a future husband should be like. So, uh, I mean, there's more, but that's just a little bit, yeah. Because a lot of guys haven't seen a godly father. And when you got to start to be the first one you know, that's tough. 
but God has blessed them. His kids are amazing because God is moving in their lives. It doesn't mean they don't have kid issues, but they'll never not know a day where dad's not home, dad doesn't love mom, dad's not there doing those things, right? Because a happy home is more than just having food in the refrigerator. Some men were brought up that way. Hey, I provided for you. That's enough. Let me be, woman. No, that's not, that doesn't make a happy home. Happy home is where the kids know mom and dad are there and love them, right? And they love each other. And uh, you became a new mom this year. or Yeah, 16, right? Oh, 2015 in December. When was the baby born? I can't remember. End of October. Okay. You're, you're, I think you are still our newest mom here in the second service, though, right? Okay. Since becoming a new mom, how has God used you to reflect his glory? Share that and then pray for us before we go. Um, man, I think um, just how, by how I live, you know, I, I live differently. You know, I'm showing my son what a Proverbs 31 woman should look like. Um, it's It's been trying to learn how to juggle being a new mom, you know, being a pastor, opening my home. Like all those things kind of happened all at the same time. And it's been such a blessing because God has blessed me and I am a new person. So I get to share that with my son in this new life, in a, in a godly marriage and what that looks like. And it is totally blessed. And that is what I know that everyone can have. So I'll just pray for us all. Jesus. Jesus, 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 there is no other name through which we can be saved, God, and live as a new person. All those things, Lord, that when we're in the world and when we're, we're unsaved and we don't know how to live, we're always trying to be good or we're always trying to change what's going to happen next. But every time we try in our own vein, God, we just fail and we fail and we fail. But when we accept you for who you are, when we repent of who we've been, when we surrender our lives to you, Jesus, that is when the heart transformation happens. That is when we have longevity, that we see those things that we struggled with so much. We see that change because you have made us new, God, and that we don't have to live the way we used to live because you give us the promise that we have been made new. The old is gone and the new is here. It's not like we have to wait for it, Jesus. It's here. God, I pray for every person in this in this sanctuary, God, that they would know that the new is here. The old man is dead. The new has come, and it's here to stay. Lord, I just pray that every person here would know their identity in you, that they can have a, a healthy and a holy relationship, that they can have holy relationship with you first and foremost, and then holy relationships with other people in the world, God. I pray that they would walk in faithfulness and kindness and goodness and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, God, that the the gifts of the Spirit would flow through this place and out those doors, God, to change this nation. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We honor you for this time of intimacy because you are good and you are a good friend and you are a good father. And we just want to lift this all up to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, slap your neighbor high five and say reflect. Come on, God bless you. Reflect the image of Christ. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. We love you. Hang out a little bit. <laughs>